Thanks, Heather, and good morning, you all. It's great to see you this morning, and happy Father's Day to the fathers in the room as well. I join you in a celebration of being here in the Lord's house instead of at home in our skivvies watching TV. You guys are amazing. Let's give God a round of applause and just thank him that he's drawn us together in the family of God. That's awesome. Hey, before we dive into our message this morning, we're going to release our kids to go over to Kid Street. Now, back in the day, we used to say all of our kids ages 4 to 10. We're going to pull that restraint off, and we're going to let every kid who wants to go to Kid Street starting this morning join our Kid Street staff on the other side of the wall there. In fact, we've got one more time together in Kid Street on the other side of that wall, and then we're going to be in our new location, so we're going to be able to enjoy that together. So check your e-news for instructions on how to do Kid Street starting July the 4th. Well, as Heather said, we're in the second week of our Generous Justice series, and it's been a joy to entertain this subject with you all in the last couple of weeks. In fact, as Heather said, we've been studying the book of Micah and just kind of taking a 30,000-foot view overview of the book of Micah and the purpose of it. The idea was this. This is several hundred years before Jesus is born, and Micah the prophet is called to speak a certain message to the kingdom of Israel. What was happening at that time is that Israel's leaders and prophets were taking advantage of the people Israel and were extracting bribes and were trying to force the people to pay up in order to be a part of the faith family and participate in all of God's blessings there in Israel. Of course, that's wrong, and we understand that God's grace doesn't work that way. You don't have to come with something to the table in order to participate in God's grace. How do you receive God's grace? Well, you're just here, and you receive it through faith. Isn't that right? And we say amen to that. So the book of Micah brings to our attention this idea that now that we've been brought into the kingdom of God through grace, what do we do with ourselves? And so we share these words again from Micah 6.8 and the idea that God has called us for three specific purposes in response to his grace and to his love. One is to act justly, one is to love mercy, and one is to walk humbly with our God. So what we're doing for the rest of the series is we're taking one piece of this very potent statement, pulling it apart, diving in deeper to it, and kind of pulling out some really interesting stuff to apply to our lives, our faith lives, as it comes from the scripture. Of course, we say right off the beginning, the only one who is ever able to fulfill God's law and God's instruction is who? It is Jesus So what we want to do is we want to look back into the faith history. We want to see what it is God was accomplishing through his prophets and through his people Israel. And then we want to put that in the context of the accomplishment of Jesus. Now, Jesus not only died for us on the cross and rose again from the grave, but he also walked a perfect walk and lived a perfect life here on earth. And that life never ended. He just transported it up to heaven. So Jesus still lives today. In fact, Jesus could be considered a swear word in our culture, but we believe he is a living being. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, and he is the one who acts justly. He is the one who loves mercy. He is the one who walks humbly with God, his Father, celebrating his Father here on Father's Day. But the question becomes for us, as we are following Jesus, what does it look like to act justly? 
Now, Heather mentioned, and we'll just get brainiac for you for a second here. We'll get nerdy. Heather mentioned this Hebrew word mishpat. And this word mishpat, as she said, literally means to give someone what they're due. So that's either on the bad side of things, on the dark side of the force, or it's on the good side of things, on the light side of the force. If someone has done something wrong, then mishpat means giving them the thing that they are due in justice. So they would receive punishment if they did something wrong. Likewise, if somebody did something good, giving them the proper recognition and support for that is also mishpat. So you see there's a dark and a light side to this concept, right? But this is where we get the idea of justice. That justice is the transmission of something that is due to a person that acts. And so for a follower of Jesus, what we're asking this morning is because I've been saved by the grace of God, because the grace of God is at work and in power in my life, how do I act? How do I carry myself? Now, one of the great lessons in life of being a father is this, breaking up fights between siblings. Now, if you've had this experience before as a father, you can turn and look at the other fathers and be like, I got you, brother. I've been there. I've done. I've seen it all. I've heard it all. I've broken up all of it. And the idea becomes between children who are in, in fights with each other, which one of us deserves or gets what they're supposed to get. Here's an example. If I play with my toy and you play with your toy, but then I put my toy down and walk out of the room and I come back in the room and you have picked up my toy, what have you done? You have done something wrong because you picked up my toy without asking. How many fights have we broken up along those lines over the years, right? But the idea is whether or not it's okay for us to take each other's stuff and use it or whether or not it's okay to give each other permission to use our stuff. The right thing to do comes into play. The justice, the rightness of the situation comes into play. And in the same way, when we are helping each other out and doing good things for each other and kind things for each other, we want to encourage each other, even from a very young age. So fathers, if you are exhibiting enough energy breaking up fights that you see that bearing fruit in your life, also know this, as much encouragement as you give your kids when they do positive, helpful, and loving things for each other, that has equal power. The same power that you exhibit in breaking up fights or correcting your children when they do something wrong has the same kind of power when you go on the other side and encourage them and lift them up. The presence of your fatherhood in their life is priceless and irreplaceable. And with the same amount of presence you give to things when they do wrong, you also give to things when they do right. That shapes the mind and the heart of a child, does it not? In the same way, when we're dealing with justice and we're dealing with the idea that everyone is not only created equal in the eyes of God, but everyone is created beautiful and amazing and sought after, someone that God wants and desires, someone that God sends his own child to the cross to redeem and buy back. When we apply that same idea to the idea of justice, we begin to see here is how followers of Jesus can carry themselves in the world. Now, at Trinity, we like to kind of track along with the teachings of a 
famous Christian author and speaker, preacher, by the name of Tim Keller. Tim Keller defines justice in these terms. He says, we do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. Doing justice includes not only the righting of wrongs, but generosity and social concern on the positive side, especially toward the poor and vulnerable. This kind of life reflects the character of God. Let me say that again. This kind of life, balanced, the character of God is a reflection of the character of God. He goes on and says this. He says, it insists, or justice insists, on a broad range of activities, from simple, fair, and honest dealings with people in daily life to regular, radically generous giving of your time and resources to activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice, violence, and oppression. So what we're going to look at today is the idea of this threefold response of a Christ follower to social justice concerns. In fact, when we think about what to do with ourselves in regards to social justice, we can start here. Daily life can look like this. It can look like working with people and resources in a fair and honest and respectful way. When you are dealing with someone who has a different color skin or a different ethnic background or even a different experience in the spiritual world, your average daily interaction with people matters. The way we talk to people, the way we spend time with people, the way we interact when we go to the store, the way we interact when we go to the movies or get back out in our culture that is reopening again. Every interaction we have with someone counts and it matters. And if we begin to see other people with the character of God in front of us, it changes the way we do our daily interactions, doesn't it? And that includes even recovering from COVID times and taking into account that some people choose to be vaccinated and others do not. Some people choose to be masked and others do not. Some choose to be socially distanced and others do not. Every interaction we have counts and matters. And along those lines, when we deal with going deeper and further with the exercise of our faith, we want to look at the idea of being generous. The idea of generous justice takes us into the giving to an individual family or community what they need to move beyond what? A dependency upon a condition or a situation to where they can become self-sufficient. So we as a church, on Sunday mornings, we like to check in through the Church Center app. When we do that, it benefits financially an organization in the world that does this work. However, on the same token, our small groups, which are meeting right now, even over the summer, are active in the community doing things that support people who are marginalized. This is the way of the Christ follower. The Christ follower lives beyond the Sunday morning service. The worship service is just a start. The Christian life begins from the worship service, this place of Sabbath rest where we soak in the word and then we turn around and we go out and do something with it. The question becomes for us here at South Naperville, how as a church will we at Trinity South Naperville respond to our community when we move into this new building in just two short weeks? What will we do with those resources to help people who are marginalized, people who could use our support? 
I'm proud of God to say this. One of the first things we're going to do from the beginning, and in fact are already doing, is supporting what I would call a ministry, though the leader of this agency would not call it a ministry. I would. Over in the cafe across the hall from our worship space, we have a gathering of adults with disabilities who've aged out of the public school system over age 22. They meet in the cafe space five days a week as a launching place to go out into the community to learn social and emotional and vocational and relational skills. We've connected with a leader of this agency who is partnering with us now to share the resources his people bring to serve food, coffee, tea, pastries, and fruit at our services on Sunday mornings. So we now have a partnership in the building that's going to begin operating from the 4th of July forward. So when you meet a whole bunch of new people on Sunday morning, you'll know who they are. These are people who would typically be marginalized. But on Sunday mornings at South Naperville, they will be activated to serve and to worship and to praise God along with us. I can't tell you how amazed and grateful to God I am for that opportunity. It's just one example of the potential we have in front of us. And then, of course, when we talk about the idea of activism, you speak to, to someone about activism, you may get any kind of response. What does activism even mean? I would suggest this as a working definition. It's peacefully influencing people, neighborhoods, and communities to break down unneeded human boundaries. Peacefully. In other words, this gets into the realm of the peaceful protest. This is what differentiates a gathering of a group of people for peaceful intent versus violent intent. When you gather people together to protest something peacefully, what is that called? It is a peaceful protest. When you gather a group of people together for violent means and violent acts, what is that called? It's called a riot, and there's a difference, isn't there? We are called as followers of Jesus into the realm of peaceful protest when the time comes. When we see an injustice happening, it's okay for us to participate in the peaceful public gathering together with other people who are advocating for people who are marginalized. Now think about that for a second. But if you look at the life of Jesus, you could ask the question, is that what Jesus did when he tossed the tables in the temple? When Jesus came into Jerusalem the week he was going to the cross to die and arise again for us, one of the first things he did is he went to the temple and he saw that there were people selling sacrificial animals there at a premium price, a super high price. So the travelers were coming from all over the region to worship at the temple of Jerusalem and in order to buy their sacrificial animals, they had to pay top dollar. So you had people in that area of the temple where they were interacting with non-Jews, the court of the Gentiles, who were selling animals at too expensive prices. There were, they, there were uh, thereby, in that moment, oppressing the people Israel. And so Jesus looked at that, and without hurting anyone, or without destroying anyone's property, he went in and overturned the tables of the money changers and threw them out of the temple area. His response to the Jewish leaders who questioned him about his behavior was, this is my father's house. It's a house of prayer. But you have turned it into, what did he call it, church? 
He called it a den of robbers. A den of robbers. People who are robbing from the people and keeping them from an authentic worship of God. So when we talk about rendering justice and gathering together, what we're talking about is peacefully gathering, peacefully enjoying the grace that God has given us and at the same time advocating for others. Now you've probably seen in the news from the things that were happening a year ago that there were difficulties in downtown Chicago where people crossed the line from from peaceful protest into rioting and into violence. And in fact, there were times when cops on the street were drugged down and were hit and were uh, thrown bottles at and were poured water on and were violently hit and, uh, and persecuted right there in the street. And this was in response to things that were happening in the, the trials and things that were happening to uh, the response to George Floyd's murder by a police officer just some weeks before. We found that not only was injustice happening and an imbalance of justice taking place in the case of George Floyd, but we also found injustice upon injustice happening as people responded to this news in the street by gathering together not only to protest peacefully, but also to do what? To riot, to destroy property, and to commit violence. And what happened was in the end, as we talked about Mishpat, and the balance of God's justice in the beginning, what happened was is that the perpetrator of the crime against George Floyd was brought to justice. He was fired from the police department. He was brought into the justice system and he was taken to court and he was convicted on three counts of murder, a combination of second and third degree murder. He will go to prison for what is likely to be the rest of his life. Now the question becomes this, was justice served to Derek Chauvin, the man who murdered George Floyd? Some say yes, some say no. But what happened through the instrument that God allowed to be in place called our justice system system, is that Derek Chauvin was brought to justice. He was brought to justice through the justice system. It didn't take violent rioting in the street and violence against cops in order to bring him to justice. But it happened anyway, didn't it? Likewise, many of us protested peacefully in the streets that there be a new approach to the way a law enforcement handle not only riots in the streets, but peaceful protests and arrests on the streets. Policy has changed in some cities. Funding has changed in some cities. Different cities are handling the way our law enforcement reacts to situations in the public differently. But the question becomes for us, where is God's justice? Where is the generosity of his justice in our culture today? It lies with you and with me. No matter what has happened in the streets, no matter what has happened in the justice system, God has shared his generous justice with us. Here's how he calls us into that generous justice. I want to share with you Romans chapter 12 again, as we read earlier. Look at this very carefully with me. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. In other words, be humble. 
He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are what, church? Honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with anyone. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are a police officer in our world today, can you behave honorably when committing an ar- or when doing an arrest? Yes, you can. If you are a peaceful protester in our culture today, can you peacefully protest honorably? Yes, you can. If you're with a friend in preschool and your friend is playing with a toy and you're playing with another toy, can you approach your friend honorably at preschool? Yes, you can. If you're at home with your brothers and sisters and you're arguing over the last person who ate the last uh, pizza pocket out of the fridge, can you behave honorably? Yes, you can. By the work of the Holy Spirit in you and by the way God has positioned us in this life following Jesus, we can behave honorably. You know, this word honorable in the original language has a lot of different meanings. It can mean noble. It can mean beautiful. It can mean right and deserving of good. It can mean all kinds of different things. But in the end, that beautiful, right, noble concept comes from God. It is his gift to you and me. And he gives us through the work and the power of his Holy Spirit the ability to exercise our life and to act in our life not only justly, but justly by God's definition, meaning honorably in the way we conduct ourselves and each other. In fact, when we think about what is beautiful in our culture, sometimes we're tempted to think about this as beauty. Now, you can get a muscle suit on Amazon for about 50 bucks, and you can go to the gym and look muscular without lifting a single weight. But you got to be careful because you might fall in love with the image of physical beauty. God calls us to an image of nobility and of honorability and of his beauty, the beauty of the soul, the kind of beauty that acts justly, that pursues God's righteousness through the power and work of Jesus. Dads, you might be tempted to get a muscle suit of your own that matches those of the children's muscle suits you can get for 50 bucks on Amazon. But be careful, get the right kind, otherwise you might end up looking like a yellow marshmallow. Or you could simply invest yourself in God's version of honorable, noble beauty. That is what powers acting justly in our world. Think about it. Think about how God gives us that opportunity every single day. And the way in which we carry ourselves covers not only persons of different colors and ethnic backgrounds and experiences, but all people. So why would it not cover our interactions in justice in the world? The next time you're tempted to break up a fight with anger and by raising your voice at home, think about a way that you can break up that fight honorably. I have failed in this task more times than I care to admit. 
But God always brings me back to his forgiveness and always brings me back to his justice. And that is in Jesus. And it reminds me, maybe next time we could try a different way. Maybe the next time you're talking to your significant other, maybe the next time you have a particular cause that you'd like to represent in the street, maybe the next time you vote, Maybe the next time you encourage and support a police officer or a first responder, maybe ask God, what is the honorable way to have this conversation? Let him show you, let him give you the words, let him teach you how to act justly the way he does. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to follow you into justice and to follow you into the opportunity of seeking justice for others. We praise you and we love you. And we honor you today with these words and with the opportunity to respond to them. Heavenly Father, we ask for the words to speak. The next time the availability comes, when we are called to represent not only you and your creative and redemptive power, but the work of Jesus, for those who are looking for a real God in the real world. Your justice is so amazing, and we thank you for leading us in it. God, as we worship you now and respond to you now, we remember how powerful and amazing and perfect you are and how you lead us by a real son, Jesus, into real justice situations. We thank you for those opportunities and for your power on display in them. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.